just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practices because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Respiratory failure affects up to 0.2% of pregnancies, more commonly in the postpartum period. Altered maternal respiratory physiology affects the assessment and management of these patients. Respiratory failure may result from pregnancy-specific conditions like preeclampsia, amniotic fluid embolism, or peripartum cardiomyopathy. Of course, another cause of ARDS is infections, and in this time of viral pandemics, it's important to review ARDS and the respiratory physiology specifically in pregnancy. Hormonal changes in pregnancy affect the upper respiratory tract and cause airway hyperemia and edema. The diaphragm is displaced upward by about 4 centimeters, but the potential loss of lung volume is offset by widening of the anterior-posterior and the transverse thoracic diameters. Functional residual capacity, or FRC, decreases by 10 to 25% by term. The vital capacity remains unchanged, and total lung capacity decreases only minimally. Measurements of airway flow like FEV1 and lung compliance are not altered during pregnancy, but chest wall and total respiratory compliance are reduced in the third trimester. Minute ventilation increases progressively throughout pregnancy, beginning in the first trimester and reaching 20 to 40% above baseline by term. An increase in respiratory drive is caused by elevated serum progesterone levels, producing an increase in tidal volume and very little change in the respiratory rate, although there is tachypnea of pregnancy, although its true clinical significance is somewhat debated. A respiratory alkalosis develops with compensatory renal excretion of bicarb with PaCO2 falling to 28 to 32 millimeters of mercury and plasma bicarb falls to 18 to 21. Alveolar to arterial oxygen tension differences are usually unchanged by pregnancy, although mild hypoxemia may develop in the supine position as functional residual capacity diminishes near term. Oxygen consumption is increased beginning very early in the first trimester and reaching 20 to 33% above baseline by the third trimester. The combination of reduced functional residual capacity and increased oxygen consumption caused the pregnant patient to rapidly develop hypoxemia in response to hypoventilation or apnea. Alkalosis may worsen fetal oxygenation by reducing uterine blood flow. This can occur during hyperventilation related to labor as well as to a metabolic alkalosis that can be produced by volume depletion and vomiting. Adequate pain relief blunts this ventilatory response and can correct the hyperventilation associated with active labor when active labor is the cause of the condition. Of course, causes of ARDS in pregnancy can be pregnancy-specific like preeclampsia or amniotic fluid embolism, or can be general causes just like anybody else, including viral pneumonia. 
viral pneumonia causes a risk of significant morbidity in pregnancy with increased mortality rates compared with the general population. In some reports, viral pneumonia causing ARDS in pregnancy have been associated with up to 30% to 35% maternal mortality. In the influenza pandemics, the maternal mortality rate has consistently been higher than the general population. Vaccination of pregnant women is strongly recommended, of course. The 2009 influenza A, H1N1 pandemic was associated with a high incidence of severe disease in pregnant women with significant mortality. This has raised the fear and the concern with the current issue with the coronavirus, although information specific to coronavirus is still lacking and immature at this time. Now, amanadine has been used in pregnancy as treatment and as prophylaxis, specifically for influenza-related lung injury. And alstimavir was used quite extensively in pregnancy in the 2009 epidemic. Varicella pneumonia is also associated with significant morbidity and mortality during pregnancy. In one review, a 35% mortality rate was reported in pregnancy compared with just 10% in older adults. In this condition, treatment with acyclovir is necessary and reduces mortality in gravid patients. All right, that's enough background. Let's get into management next. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Endotracheal intubation in the pregnant patient carries considerable risk. Failed intubation is eight times more common in the obstetric population than in other anesthetic intubations. The reduced functional residual capacity and the increased oxygen consumption in pregnancy cause rapid oxygen desaturation during apnea or hypoventilation. Upper airway mucosal edema and friability can adversely affect visualization and increase the risk of bleeding. Nasal intubation should be avoided and a smaller size endotracheal tube may be required. Pre-oxygenation is important, but overventilation and respiratory alkalosis should be avoided. The risk of aspiration should also be considered. Non-invasive ventilation is well-suited to short-term ventilatory support and avoids the potential complication of endotracheal intubation with its associated sedation. This modality has a role in obstetric respiratory complications that reverse rapidly. The major concern with this form of ventilator support is the risk of aspiration. Non-invasive ventilation should therefore only be used in the pregnant patient who is alert protecting her airway and where there is expectation of a relatively brief need for mechanical ventilation. 
prolonged mechanical ventilation of pregnant patients in the ICU is relatively uncommon and few data are available to guide judgment. Remember, that's a clinical pearl. Hyperventilation and alkalosis should be avoided to prevent uterine vasoconstriction. Lung protective ventilation, sometimes producing permissive hypercapnia, has not been well assessed in pregnancy. Chest wall compliance is reduced by the enlarging uterus and the usual pressure limits, like a plateau pressure of 35 centimeters of water, may not be appropriate. Slightly higher airway pressures without increased transpulmonary pressure may be needed to achieve appropriate tidal volumes in pregnant women near term. Blood gas abnormalities may adversely affect the fetus. Oxygenation should be optimized to ensure adequate fetal oxygenation. A maternal oxygenation goal of a PO2 greater than 70 millimeters mercury has been suggested. However, a short-term study of controlled maternal hypoxia less than 85% using inhalation of 10% oxygen demonstrated no adverse effects on fetal monitoring. Maternal oxygen saturation is only one factor contributing to fetal oxygenation. Remember that placental perfusion plays a more significant role. While excessive hypocapnia may cause fetal harm by reducing placental perfusion, the effects of hypercapnia on the fetus are less clear. Maternal CO2 levels are normally reduced to about 27 to 34 millimeters of mercury, producing a gradient to facilitate placental excretion of fetal CO2. Permissive hypercapnia has not been evaluated in pregnancy and maternal hypercapnia could produce fetal respiratory acidosis. This acidosis likely does not have the same ominous implications for the fetus as lactic acidosis produced by hypoxemia, which implies significant tissue hypoxemia. Small clinical studies have evaluated the short-term effect of mild hypercapnia in pregnancy. Women undergoing cesarean delivery were subjected to mild hypocapnia with a mean of about 23 millimeters of mercury or mild hypercapnia up to about 39 millimeters of mercury. Hypocapnia produced a lower APGAR score and delayed neonatal breathing. Another small study compared ventilated women delivered with mild hypercapnia with ventilated women with mild hypocapnia. In these cases, the hypercapnia was about 57 millimeters mercury and the hypocapnia about 26 millimeters mercury. The hypercapnic group had a statistically significant higher APGAR score at delivery compared to those with hypocapnia. If necessary, mild hypercapnia with a PaCO2 maintained less than 60 has been recommended for pregnancy. It should be noted that the right shift of the hemoglobin oxygen dissociation curve caused by acidosis may negate the beneficial oxygen-carrying characteristics of fetal hemoglobin. Once again, the right shift of hemoglobin oxygen dissociation caused by acidosis may negate the beneficial oxygen-carrying characteristics of hemoglobin F. Few data are available to support the use of interventions like inhaled nitric oxide, prone positioning, and high-frequency oscillation in pregnancy, although these modalities have been used successfully and described in small case reports and in other non-pregnant individuals.
The 2009 H1N1 influenza epidemic resulted in a marked increased utilization of extracorporeal life support for ARGS, including patients who were pregnant, and these actually did have good outcomes. Well, what about delivery of the fetus? It has been suggested that delivery of the pregnant patient with respiratory failure will result in improvement in the mother's condition. However, a significant benefit to the mother has not consistently been demonstrated. If the fetus is at a viable gestation and is at risk for intractable maternal hypoxia, then there well may be a benefit to the fetus of delivery. The mode of delivery should be determined by standard obstetrical principles. Although cesarean section may allow more rapid delivery in the critically ill patient, there is significant increased physiological stress and operative delivery has been associated with higher mortality in these patients. So here's a take-home message. How to deliver these critically ill patients is a really tough decision. Delivery should not be performed solely in an attempt to improve maternal oxygenation or ventilation. It's essential that the ICU have prearranged plans for urgent delivery and neonatal resuscitation in the event of spontaneous labor or precipitous labor. In closing, of course, the care of the critically ill patient with ARDS requires a multidisciplinary support team. This includes an intensivist, pulmonologist, obstetrician, SMFM physician, and of course, infectious disease. In this uncertain time of COVID-19, we have to be prepared for respiratory distress in the pregnant and non-pregnant individual. So I hope this brief review of respiratory physiology and the pros and cons of certain gas measurements seems helpful. Be careful, everyone. Stay healthy, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. Thank you.